This is the Garden Cinema Film Talk. We were joined here at the Garden Cinema by director, writer and actress Nana Mensa, whose first feature film, the award-winning Queen of Glory, is screening here as part of the Migration Film Festival. Lily Parrott, Migration Film Festival co-director, also joined us. Great. Thank you, Nana Mensa, for joining us here at the Garden Cinema to chat about your work and to chat about Queen of Glory. And thank you, Lily. Um, you're the director, am I right, of the Migration Film Festival? Uh, co-director, yeah. Co-director. Okay, and you That's will very be... generous of you. <laughs> Share the glory. Um, you'll be hosting the festival, mm-hmm. well, one of the films here at the Garden Cinema, and this mm-hmm. film being Queen of Glory. So, first of all, uh, I wanted to chat a little bit about your work and then sure. move on to how the film fits into the the debate around migration and the films you've selected to be part of the Migration Film Festival. Mm. Uh, so first of all, Nana, I'm aware you, you started off as an actress mm-hmm. or were you s- writing whilst you were acting and you had the ambition of directing and writing your own work? Mm. Or were you quite keen to just act? No, just I would have liked to have just been an actor, but um, I couldn't get arrested. So I was, you know, uh, in New York, and there's kind of this running joke that every single New York actor has been on Law & Order, and I could not even get an audition for Law & Order. So I was really, really uh, scraping the bottom of the barrel there. And so I... Um, started writing and I, you know, I started writing in around 2011. I started writing when it kind of became clear that I was like not going to get any work as an actor after graduating. And, um, unless I wrote the parts myself, right? Because a lot of the things, even the things that I was getting auditions for were not very flattering. We're not very exciting. I think, you know, um, if I'm being, you know, in the cold, hard light of day, I think, you know, not a size zero, dark skin, black woman, you know, like it's like the options were very few and far between. No one would see. I remember um, there was a play. Gosh, I can't remember what year this was, but there was a play that was going on. Um, Venus and Fur. Uh, and it was... Um, you know, Nina Arianda was who, who was cast in in the role, and I remember reading the um the the breakdown for the and being like, that is so perfect. I would be so great in that. And of course, like nobody was looking at me for that part. They were looking at Nina Arianda, and so that was like a very um that was that kind of happened time and time again. It was like, oh wow, I think I'm going to have to start writing and and contributing my voice that way because no one is interested in my voice contribution as an actor. And so that's it came. It was born out of necessity. And so I started writing, and then um, I had the idea to write a feature. I was very inspired by. Um, you know, folks like Greta Gerwig and um, Barry Jenkins, Men- Medicine for Melancholy, Lena Dunham's Tiny Furniture, like, you know, who kind of came out of the gate with very small, manageable films um, that they were able to kind of exert complete con- creative control over by virtue of their budgets, right? Because um, when you take the big money, then all of a sudden you have to take it, the big opinions of the people who are signing the big checks. And so... Um, Yeah. And so that was basically how we ended up with Queen of Glory. We ended up interviewing a few or, you know, kind of having a short list of some directors that we were looking at for that. And all of them wanted to make this a very sad story. And though it deals with the death of a parent, it is not 
uh, tragedy. And, um, and I, and that was very clear to me. So it became clear in looking at other directors to direct it that I actually was the person who had a very crystallized vision of what it was supposed to look like. Even though you'd never directed before. True that story. Was your first. Um, and it made me think as you were talking, and I know you've worked with Jada Plus mm-hmm. on the chair, and I've seen yeah. the chair, so I was really excited to be <laughs> you after that. Um, I'd read the De Plus Brothers book, and what they say is that they'd spend this fortune making their first fe- their first feature film, and it was a complete flop. They didn't go anywhere. And then their advice is to just make something, yeah. whatever you can, just make it, and then it gets somewhere. And with that success, the small amount of success you get, build something, and it, you know it's incremental. Mm-hmm. Um, so it made me. Yeah, Jay has been a really, really, really big support um, throughout this process. Um, You know, he had not been to a theater to see a film since the pandemic. He was being very careful. He has, you know, a wife and two children, and he's been really careful about COVID. And the first time he set foot in a theater post-COVID was to see Queen of Glory in L.A. And um, and I was so, so touched by that. And he was so supportive of the film and tweeted about it. And, in fact, emailed me, like, last week and was like, what are you doing next? And I'm like, oh, God, Jay, please. Like, leave me alone. Um, But, you know, um, I've been really, really grateful for, like, him and other uh, wonderful folks who are in the game just being really supportive. And that's been a blessing for sure. And you said that a lot of the directors you saw wanted to make it into quite a sentimental, uh, sad story. It was very kind of nuanced uh, humor, very quick as well. Was that what you wanted to do, was to create something that's quite funny and sharp and yeah I think that was something that was very important to me um Lily and I were actually just talking about this before mm-hmm. we started recording and just that like a lot of tales that deal in this subject matter oftentimes are tragedies they are dramas um and I'm not afraid of the drama but I just think that so much of life has that other side to it that even when you are in the kind of like depths of grief that there's also um there is laughter there is humor there is and i think even when you're you know in in the in the heights of comedy in the uproarious laughter of comedy there's also that tinge of like we're all gonna die this is all impermanent so i think that there's a little bit of both i think it's yin and yang and i think if you ignore one and focus very heavily um on the one part i think you are doing a disservice to storytelling because that, and 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 to representing the way life is because that's what life is like. So I think that was important to me to have the humor, even though this was dealing, like I said, in very in very heavy subject matter. And I have to ask, and I'm sure you've answered that question many times before, but as a first-time director, how did you work? Were you sort of <laughs> guessing as you went along? Yeah, um, it was hard. I had a shot list, didn't really go anywhere. <laughs> um, I did try to be as prepared as I could, but, um, you know, a lot of independent filmmaking and independent filmmaking at this micro budget level is you are very much uh uh you know you're like that you're like that plastic bag in American Beauty just kind of being blown in the wind whichever way I think it's very uh you are yeah it's it's tough and so there were things that I wanted to do that I didn't get to do there were things that I didn't set out to do that I ended up doing that I was really excited about um, there was stuff in between. Um, I think that was, but ultimately, to answer your question in terms of workflow, it was kind of like I relied really heavily on my lead producer, Jamin Washington. Um, and he uh, was, yeah, he was great um, in terms of being an eye for me because obviously I can't watch myself. 
unless I'm watching playback. And if I'm having to watch every single take, that's eating up time. And on an independent film with a low budget, time is money. Time is always money, but time is especially money um, on an independent film of low budget or limited resources. And so um, he would be on monitor for me. We would set up the shot. Obviously, we would rehearse it, you know, do all that stuff. And then um, we would go for a take and he would be on monitor. And if like something very obvious, like there's a boom in the shot or a truck rumbled by and kind of ruined the take or whatever, like he would be like, oh, we need to reset. But then he would be like, you know, sometimes I think we got it. Do you want to come and take a look? And then I would have a look and then we could decide whether or not to move on or if there's something I didn't like about it that we could, you know, because I'm in every scene for the most part. So it was really hard for me to uh, direct myself without losing a lot of time. So that was that was that was how we did it. That was the workflow. Yeah. Lily, as the curator at the festival, I was wondering. One of them. <laughs> just you, in your opinion, where the film was situated in the programming well actually i have to i have to make a confession right at the very beginning i didn't actually program uh, your film Ooh. it was my co-director <laughs> who insisted on it and absolutely just was the the instant she watched it was like this is going in our festival mm-hmm. um and i think the place that it really fits in best is it's actually our only comedy film this year and as you were talking about earlier um you know comedy brings this incredible power to to stories of migration and diaspora that I think, um, you know, as as you might know, the aim of our festival is to challenge the rhetoric about migration and challenge how people think and talk about it. And, you know, so much of the media is just dominated by tragedy stories of migration, you know, migrants as victims, uh, migrants as um, enemies or invaders um, or helpless. And we just really liked the idea of having a story where someone is taking control of their own life and also um, making it funny. Um, And we found that comedy can be one of the, really the most, sometimes one of the best ways of, uh, to use an overused phrase, like changing hearts and minds, um, because you're able to connect with people on an emotional level um, that then almost... uh, bypasses some of the maybe uh, ingrained ideas or preconceptions that they that they have and it sort of it undercuts that and and lets people connect in a totally different way and so often um it's just our favorite genre of film to include in the festivals what sort of reactions have you got from the various audiences have you had really mixed reactions um I yeah. don't mean positive and negative. I mean, I mean, in terms of what mm-hmm. people take from away it. from it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There are people who are like, "Oh my God, that was so funny," and there are people who are like, "I was sobbing at the end," or whatever, you know. Like, and, and that's been really interesting to see. Um, especially like weirdly, I've had a few people who've written to me or sought me out or after Q and As or whatnot who were like, you know, I recently lost my mother, and I really identified with like the um, admin, you know, like the administrative stuff that you have to do like after a death, which is so unjust because you are also dealing with this seismic loss, you know, this kind of catastrophic um, shift and change in your life and your world. Um, so, yeah, so I think uh, it's it's run the gamut, which has been, you know, very flattering. You said you were living in the UK now. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. Yeah. I just assumed you were in London for an extended stay. No, 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 no. And you live in London? Yeah. May I ask why the UK? 
I mean, have you read a newspaper? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> listen, it's, yeah. no, no, obviously the UK is definitely in the bit of, in a bit of a hard um, moment, uh, but it, you know, so it is not, as my friend says, it is not Wakanda, but there is, uh, there are certain things that are kind of not up for debate. There's a lot that's going on, a heated debate that is going on about the future of the UK. There is also a lot of, there are also a lot of things that are not up for debate. And those are the things that I wanted a bit of reprieve from. Um, yeah, you know, abortion, guns, things mm-hmm. like that, you know. So I think that there's, uh, um, it's been really, and also you, your, edu- your guys's education, even though you get really upset when there are hikes in the price of education, it's still incredibly cheap in comparison to New York City. Mm-hmm. And so um, even for an independent education, so, and we have a child. So that has been, um, uh, those have been the highlights. And even the way the city is planned, obviously it's a much older city than New York, but you have mm-hmm. an incredible amount of green space, you know, mm-hmm. and we have the privilege of, of living on a park where you can see the park from every window in our flat. And to live on a park in New York, you have to be a billionaire. Recognize I'm speaking from extreme privilege because of course there are people who are having trouble with managing their bills right now and things like that with the energy crisis, cost of living crisis. So I am obviously very sensitive to that. So I don't want to swan in and be like, it's amazing here. No, there are obviously people who are still struggling here as well. But for us, it just kind of made um, a lot of sense. This is sort of going right back to the beginning, but like what... um what inspired you to write write this? I mean, that's a huge question, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, honestly, it's super Machiavellian. I, I wish I had a more romantic answer for you, but really, um, like inspired by those filmmakers that I was referencing before, um, it was about shooting. A, a mentor gave me really good advice about um, writing a film around things that you could get for cheap or free. Mm-hmm. And my family owned a Christian bookstore in the Bronx. And, um, and so, and they were, they would let us shoot there every Sunday when they were at church. So we got that, you know, that was, and they would not accept money, of course. And so that was a free location. Um, I had a friend that owned a restaurant. We shot there. Uh, friends gave up their flats for us to shoot there. Mm -hmm. Um, I cobbled the story around things that I could get for cheap or free. And my producer went to Columbia, so we were able to steal some shots of Columbia for the film. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, those, 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 uh, you know, exteriors and things like that, we just popped onto campus and with the camper camera and made it happen. So, like, really, it was engineered. It was reverse engineered. I knew that mm-hmm. I could access these, you know, few things, these few locations, these types of actors, and um, and and I built a film around that. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing use of like creativity within constraints. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I'm looking forward to doing a version where I can just set out to make the story I want to make without having to look at, <laughs> you know, who will give me their apartment to shoot in and whatnot, you know. So that was, that was, uh, yeah. The choice Definitely could learning. be overwhelming. I it could know. be. We could see, you know, I think there's, a, there's something really, um, wonderful about the way that we did it and i'm very proud of it of course um thank you nana mansa yeah thank you very much lady parrot from the Um, migration film festival mm -hmm. yeah and please make sure to catch queen of glory at london migration film festival it's being screened on the 26th of november at 2 p.m at the garden cinema this was the garden cinema film talk You can find out more about the cinema screenings and seasons on our website, thegardencinema.co.uk and follow us, send us comments and feedback on our social media, at The Garden Cinema. Thank you for listening.